Good morning, Brinesburg. It is good to see you here this morning. I hope the Lord has blessed you this past week, and we've had the opportunity, I hope throughout the week, to be able to have those gospel conversations, especially uh, with the truelife.org cards that we are looking for opportunities to have those conversations with, and look forward to hearing uh, how the Lord used that in your life this week, and we're excited to be together for the purpose of worshiping our risen Savior this morning. For those of you that are joining us through television or through Facebook Live, we'd like to welcome you, those of you there on Facebook Live. There in the comment section, let us know of your attendance. We always love to know who is with us today and how we might be able to pray for you and your family. And if this is your first opportunity to be with us here at Brinesburg, we'd like to welcome you as well. And there in the pew in front of you, uh, there is a card. If you'll fill that out and place it in that offering plate there on the large round table in the foyer. And we appreciate you doing that for us. Helps us to know of your attendance, but most importantly, uh, helps us to know how we can pray for you, minister to you and your family. And glad to have you with us today. I have a couple of, of thank you notes this morning. I left my bulletin though. Thank you. The first is uh, from the family of Brenda Hodges, and it says, Thank you for all of the food, the well wishes, and the thoughtful prayers during this time of healing. Mom and Dad love this church and the family within it. And we will continue to honor them by praying for the church, its family, and the nation, knowing they are finally home together. With great love, the Hodges family, and we continue uh, to pray for them. Also, we have one from Phyllis uh, Kalila, and it says, I want to thank everyone for all of the get well, the thank you, and the beautiful Christmas cards, and most of all, for the thoughts and prayers, and also for the fruit plate and the Christmas gifts. My church family continues to be an important factor in support in my recovery. I have... One more chemo treatment, January the 31st and February 1st, and then I'll be reevaluated to see the progress that has been made. Keep on praying for me, Miss Phyllis. And so we uh, continue to pray for her in, uh, in this time of her battle uh, with cancer. Uh, we do have many an announcements today. I hope that uh, you have read your bulletin and see those things that pertain to you. Uh, again, if you know of a senior adult that would be uh, benefit from us having a, a van come and pick them up or a bus come and pick them up, on Sunday night or Wednesday night, there is a sign-up sheet out in the foyer, and uh, we'd love to know of those that that might be a blessing to, and uh, looking for an opportunity to begin uh, that ministry. Also, this is Bags of Hope Sunday, and uh, many of you are very aware of the ministry that Bags of Hope has in this community and the impact that it has, uh, but uh, the, the fiscal year for Bags of Hope goes September to September, and so this, that past physical year, there were four salvations through that ministry. Uh, over a thousand families that were reached, which means thousands of individuals who were reached and 40,000 food items uh, that were uh, handed out through that ministry, uh, as well as countless uh, pieces of clothing and, and things that have, have been able to benefit and help uh, folks within our community. And so this morning you have the opportunity to bless that ministry. And so if you've uh, seen out in the foyer, there are envelopes, and if you would like to give to that special offering this morning here on Bags of Hope Sunday, you have the opportunity to do that and know that 100% of what you give is going to help us uh, to provide food and to provide clothing for those in our community who find themselves in difficult situations. And uh, just praise the Lord for uh, not only the opportunity that we have through that ministry to meet physical needs, but more importantly, 
for the fact that each and every family, each and every individual that comes through Bags of Hope has the opportunity to be counseled with, prayed with, and the gospel is presented to them 100% of the time. We have the opportunity to talk to them about uh, if they have a church home, if they know who Christ is, if, if there's anything that we can minister to them about. And uh, just so thankful for this ministry that has made such an impact uh, within our community. And so I know you may want to bless them today, and you have the opportunity to do that uh, through this special offering. Also want to note that uh, next week we are going to be having a children's uh, camp meeting for all of our kids who are currently in the third through fifth grade. Uh, if they're involved in Sunday school, if they're involved in uh, Team Kid, if they're involved in Center Shot, any of those ministry programs through Brinesburg, then they are eligible to be a part of our camp this summer. And so uh, we'll be going to Jonathan Creek, the crossings. And so uh, if they would like to be a part of that, come to that meeting. We'll be meeting up in the choir room after next Sunday morning's worship service. And uh, that will be a $75 deposit per child. And so uh, make, make that known to you as well. Uh, but looking forward to uh, get, getting that information out to them next week. A lot of other things going on. Make sure that you do read your bulletin. Uh, and all you have to do is look around right now and you recognize that we've got a lot of folks who are either quarantined or sick right now. And so we certainly want to remember all of those within our church family. And, and I know a lot of those folks are uh, folks that teach classes and, and have other leadership roles. And so uh, we certainly are mi missing many of our folks who would normally be here on a Sunday morning. Uh, but we are so glad that you're here today. And I know that we all have come with a variety of different needs on our hearts. But most importantly, we want to pray for those who do not yet know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. For some of you, that may be your spouse, one of your kids, one of your grandkids. Uh, a family member, a friend, somebody you work with or go to school with. Uh, but we want to look for those opportunities to share the gospel with them in the coming week. And so let's pray the Lord would give that opportunity to, to us even today and that we would be bold in our witness. Let's go to the Lord and pray together. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for yet another opportunity to get up and to come and to worship together as your church. Lord, we thank you for the blessings of this past week, Lord. We thank you for the gospel opportunities that you've given to us. And Lord, we do recognize the variety of different needs within our church family right now. Many who are struggling health-wise, either with this virus, with cancer issues, with other surgeries that are uh, coming very near. And we pray for them as the great physician that you would lay your healing hand upon them and bring health and healing and recovery as only you can. But we also recognize with the stress of life right now, uh, there are many relationships that are strained. Lord, we think about those families that are struggling after the devastation of the storms of December 10th. And Lord, we just pray that you would continue to uh, give them the help that they need, whether that be financial, whether that just be the physical support that they need. But also if those relationships would be able to withstand all the stress that I know has, has been brought about in the last month and a half. Lord, we most importantly pray for the lost, though. And we thank you for the opportunities that you give us to share. And we pray that we would be bold in our witness, to be ready in season and out of season, to give a witness, to, to give a reason for the hope that is within us, to your honor and to your praise, and that we would see a great harvest in the days to come. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. to see the dawn of the darkest day, Christ on the road to Calvary. 
This morning as we come to our opening time of prayer here at the altar, I know many of us are bringing a variety of different needs into this place today, a variety of different hurts, and uh, this is an opportunity as we begin our time of worship together, not waiting to, till the end of this time, but right here at the beginning, uh, to lay down whatever the burdens may be on our hearts and to give them over to the Lord and just say, you know what, you have my full attention today, Lord, you have my full heart, uh, speak to me as only you can. And so this morning with every head bowed and with all eyes closed, Whatever the need may be, this altar is open. You can make that pew in front of you, an altar, whatever, wherever you're at there at home. Uh, let's just spend some time before our Lord, crying out to him, laying down what the burdens may be, and trusting him with them today. come before you this morning we recognize that we are living through a period of time that is so difficult for so many individuals and families from the loss of loved one to sickness to the prospect of sickness to just the turmoil that seems to be all around us there is so much stress there is so much hurt that sometimes it seems to many that it is unbearable but Lord, we are so thankful that as difficult as for many life is right now, 
that you are just that majestic. You are just that mighty. You are just that glorious. And so, Lord, today I pray that in light of who you are, that, Lord, we would recognize that we have a great reason to worship. We have a great reason to praise you. We have a great reason to hope. And so, Lord, this morning, I I pray that we would be able to lay down the hurt and the concern and the worry that for so many of us we've brought into this place. And that we would be able to worship and hear from you today. That, Lord, as we leave this place, we might be able to recognize that we truly have met with you and experienced you in a new and a fresh way. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing a couple of hymns together. Joy, remember, we are washed in the blood of the Lamb. Are you washed? Is it first go? Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb?
want you to know before I start this song that I am really nervous because I was, I didn't get a chance to run through this on the way to church this morning, and and actually I had two other songs picked out and decided I this wasn't what the Lord wanted to sing, and then I had this song that I thought was what you know I need to sing this morning, and then I'm running through it in my head and I'm thinking I don't know the words to this song. And so, you know, there's power in the blood, and, and we know, we're going to lean on the Lord for this. And, but you know it because I've sung it several times. So if you see me struggling, y'all just sing along with me, and you will get, we'll get through this. Listen, it's, uh, God wants to hear you sing. It's been a rough time for us in this church recently, this community. But we know we can give the Lord the praise and honor and glory in all times. chains were fastened tight down at the jail that night still Paul and Silas would not be dismayed they said it's time to lift our voice sing praises to the Lord let's prove that we will trust him come what may God wants to hear you sing when the chants are passing round you, when the fiery darts surround you, when despair is all you see. God wants to hear your voice when the martyr's word has spoken and says your circumstances as hopeless as can be. That's when God wants to hear you sing. God loves to hear our praise on our cheerful days. And the pleasant times outweigh the bad by far. But when suffering comes along and we still sing him songs, that is when we bless the Father's heart. God wants to hear you sing when the waves are crashing round you, when the fiery darts surround you. When despair is all you see, God wants to hear your voice. When the wisest man has spoken in such a circumstance, it's as hopeless as can be. That's when God wants to hear you see. And God wants to hear you when the waves are crashing round you, and when the fiery darts surround you, when despair is all you see, God wants to hear your voice. When the wisest man has spoken and says your circumstances as hopeless as can be, that's when God wants. 
Amen. Thank you, Tim. And we are so thankful that regardless of the situation or circumstances of life, that we have a reason to sing because we worship a risen Savior and He is alive and He is greater than any of the trials or circumstances that we may be going through today. This morning, if you will, turn with me in your Bibles once again to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew will be in chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And this morning we're going to look at verses 17 through 20. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. And as you're turning there in your Bibles this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer together. Lord, Heavenly Father, as we come to you today, Lord, we are so very thankful that we have a reason to lift up our voices and sing. Lord, in, in a time that for many of us has been a very difficult time, um, for us personally, for our families, for our, for our community, uh, Lord, there's been difficult situations that have come into our lives. There's been death, there's been uh, destruction, there has been sickness, uh, there's been what we see as, as the consequences of, of sin being a part of this world, Lord, and because of, of sin there is death. Uh, Lord, we, we recognize that uh, we need you all the more, and Lord, that we have a reason to sing because you chose to not leave us in our sin, not to leave us in our desperate situation, but to come after us and to rescue us by living a sinless, perfect life, by dying upon the cross to pay our sin debt, by rising again on the third day. And Lord, you've given us that amazing promise that you're coming back for us. And we are so thankful for it. Lord, I know there are many different needs in this place today, and I couldn't possibly know what all of them are firsthand, but you do. And so, Lord, I pray today that you might hide me behind the cross, that only you would be seen and only you would be heard. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, I want you to think about, biblically, what it means to have a relationship with God. What it means to be saved, biblically. What it means to be prepared for heaven. Biblically, what that means. So in your mind, if you, if you know what it takes to get to heaven, then I want to ask you some questions. Knowing biblically what it takes to get to heaven, do you believe that a majority of people in our world are ready, if they were to die today, to go to heaven? Biblically knowing what it means to be prepared for heaven, do you believe there are a majority of people in our country that are ready today, if they were to die, to go to heaven? What about our state? Do you believe there are a majority of people in our state who are prepared, if they were to die today, biblically, that they would be prepared to go to heaven? And then it comes to our community. If we were to be honest with ourselves, we'd have to say that we know that biblically speaking, a majority of people are not prepared for death. They're not prepared to go to heaven. And yet, if I were to ask you that same question of when your closest friends or family members pass away, do you assume they're in heaven? You would probably say, yes, I assume they are. I assume they're in heaven. Now, why is that? Why, why the vast difference in those two thought processes? I think it's because we generally believe that most people we know are good, righteous people. 
We believe that most people we know are good people. And what do we believe? It, it, it's not what the Bible says. But deep down, many of us believe that good people go to heaven. Good people go to heaven. Salt of the earth kind of people go to heaven. But what does the Bible tell us? What does it mean to be righteous in the eyes of God? A recent Barna report found that 88% of all Catholics, as well as a vast majority of Methodists and Presbyterians, believe that if a, if a person is generally good, and if, if a person does good things for others in this life, that they can earn a place in heaven when they die. Now, lest you think that that's only what other people believe, 27% of Baptists have that same thought process. And that was the attitude of the religious Jew during the time of Christ. People believe that good living and that good works combined to guarantee salvation. But sadly, many in our day seem to have that same misconception concerning salvation and righteousness. We live in a deeply religious age where we are surrounded by people who think that they can and who think that they must earn their salvation they must earn their way to heaven and they must earn it by being good and by doing good and perhaps there are some of you who are even here this morning and you believe that that's really how it really all comes down that, that you get to heaven by being good and by doing good but listen listen to me this morning if what you were counting on to save your soul was wrong, if it wasn't going to get you to heaven, if it was actually going to lead you to hell, would you want me to tell you you were wrong today? Would you want me to let you know that you're on the wrong path? I, I believe that you, deep down, you would. I believe that if you, if you were wrong about what it took to be saved, I believe you'd want somebody to tell you the truth. I believe that anybody in his or her right mind would want to hear the truth. And so, in verse 20 of, of Matthew 17 through 20, Jesus says that a certain level of righteousness is necessary before we can ever hope to enter into heaven. And this morning, I want us to discover what true saving righteousness requires. My purpose this morning is to challenge you, to challenge you to look closely at your relationship with God and what you're trusting for your salvation so that you might know if you are truly saved or if you've been deceived into following something that's not going to get you where you want to be. My prayer is, is that the Holy Spirit will speak to your heart so you'll be able to know where you stand this morning with the Lord. So with that in mind, please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Matthew chapter 5. Let's begin there in verse 17. This is Jesus speaking. Think not that I come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say to you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments 
and shall teach men so. He shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Listen to this. For I say to you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no case enter in the kingdom of heaven. You may be seated. That is interesting. Verse 20. Except your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. The first thing we see this morning is God's standard. God's standard. What is God's standard? Where it seems that God's standard is a standard of righteousness. And he begins by speaking about the righteousness of the Pharisees and the scribes. The Pharisees were a very religious people. In fact, uh, in, in uh, chapter 23, if you, if you got your Bible open there in Matthew, just swing over there to chapter 23 with me. And I want you to look at verse 5. This is Jesus speaking about the religious actions and behaviors of the Pharisees. Verse 5, but all their works they do for to be seen of men, for they make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. Now, what is he talking about? What is a phylactery? A phylactery was a small box. And the Jews, especially the, 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 the most religious like the Pharisees who wanted to, to, to make sure they were uh, following every single law, would bind these boxes that had tiny writings of Scripture bound together. They, they, would, they would put those boxes and, and, and they would attach them to their heads, bind them to their foreheads, bind them to, to their arms. And what Jesus says is they would make them large. They would want people to notice that they had done this, that these phylacteries were something that they were wearing, that they, that they were abiding by the entirety of the law. They made sure that they always did exactly what God called them to do when it came to tithing, even down to the, the smallest things like, like spices. They made sure that they had strict obedience to the law to the place of, of putting a fence around God's law with man-made laws so that if they broke a man-made law, perhaps it would stop them from actually breaking one of God's laws. So they built for themselves a religious system that was stricter than what even God had called them to do. They, they observed outer cleanliness uh, to the place of, we, we, we talk about uh, the washing of hands. Now, uh, washing of hands is a big deal to us today, isn't it, with, with COVID. Uh, it's all, we're all about washing hands. I don't even know how much I wash my hands now. Uh, you know, it, every time you shake somebody's hand, you're like, I better run to the bathroom and wash my hands. But uh, this is not what we're talking about. This was a religious washing of, of pouring the water in a particular way and the way that they dried them so that their hands would be ritually clean. We talk about the uh, social separation. Uh, we, during Christmas time, we talked about the fact that the, the shepherds were, were found to be pretty much perpetually uh, unclean by the custom because of the way that they made their living, that they were out with the sheep and the uncleanliness that they were seen to have had on them. And so uh, the Pharisees would separate themselves from such people. They wouldn't uh, touch dead bodies, just things like that. But these people lived, I guarantee you, to a higher standard of righteousness in the eyes of man than any of us in here this morning. 
I don't care how strict you think you are in your adherence to the law, of uh, religious laws, uh, you're not as, as righteous as these Pharisees. Matthew 23, 23. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of men and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment and mercy and faith. These ought ye have done and not to leave the other undone. And yet God says, yet God says here that we must exceed that level of righteousness in order to be allowed in to the kingdom of heaven. That you've got to be more righteous than a Pharisee. Yeah, I was getting too wild. But what Jesus wants us to see here is that there is a righteousness on the outside and yet there is an uncleanliness on the inside. It is possible to look good on the outside and to be absolutely filthy inwardly. Matthew 23, 25-28, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter. But within, they are full of extortion and excess. Thy, bind, thy, thy blind Pharisees, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like unto whitened sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones, and of all uncleanliness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within, you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Before I came here to Brownsburg, you know I was in youth ministry for about a decade. I, I, I worked with young people uh, in a couple, three different churches uh, during that period of time. And so um, if you're in youth ministry, then you do your fair share of car washes. And so um, I got to be pretty good at washing a car. Do not judge the filth on my van right now. Uh, to my level of being able to wash a car. I got pretty good at it. Uh, and so uh, we would do a lot of car washes in order for our students to be able to give towards mission offerings. They, they are broke, like most teenagers, right? Up there in the, in the back of the balcony, most teenagers are broke, right? Is that right, Xander? Yes, no money. You just borrow from mom and dad. So uh, in order for them to be able to give, we would do car washes. And so I remember we were doing one car wash, and this car drives up. And clearly they had driven through some type of, of, of mudding event before they brought that car uh, to, to, for us to wash. So we started washing it. And as we washed, uh, we got to the windshield. And we started scrubbing that windshield. But that windshield had some kind of yellowish brown on it that we could not get off. And we scrubbed it and we scrubbed it and we scrubbed it and we scrubbed it. We spent five minutes trying to get that windshield clean and just were making no progress whatsoever until one of the other adults tapped me on the shoulder and said, Brother Brad, you, did you notice what's going on inside of the vehicle? They were smoking like there was no tomorrow. I think I know what that was on the windshield. And no matter how much we tried to scrub that windshield, it wasn't getting clean. You want to know why? Because it was getting dirtier by the moment because of what was happening on inside of that vehicle. It didn't matter how much we scrubbed, the inside was getting dirtier because of the actions going on inwardly. 
You see, this is a common human error. We spend a great amount of time working on the outward man, on the, on the image of, of what other people think about us. And, and listen, you all look really nice this morning. I mean, you guys are dressed to the T. Uh, we, we, got, we got our nice clothes on. We've all taken a, a bath. We smell okay. Uh, you know, we, we're presenting outwardly what you're supposed to look like on a Sunday morning. And, and most of us can do that pretty well. And may, maybe we can do that seven days a week. We're pretty good at outwardly giving an image that we've got it all together. However, the inward man goes unchanged, goes uncleansed by the transformation that can only come in a relationship with Christ. And so the outside looks clean and it looks great, but the inside is still filthy. If good works and if religious ritual can produce a religious exterior, but not a righteous interior, then what is Jesus talking about? How do we get to heaven if we can't clean the inside by ourselves? Just what is God's standard for admission into heaven anyway? Well, this is God's standard for admission. Absolute perfection. Perfection. That is God's standard. No mistakes. You can't break a single law. We're in trouble, aren't we? We're in trouble. Our only hope our only hope for entering heaven is to be as righteous and as holy as the Lord Jesus Christ himself is. That is God's standard, and it applies to all. So the second thing I want you to see is man's shortcomings. Man's shortcoming. How does man measure up against God's standard? Well, I'm glad you asked. In Scripture, man is declared to be a sinner by God himself. God declares us to be sinners. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Galatians chapter 3, verse 22. For the Scripture hath concluded that all under sin, and the promise of faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. Romans 3, 10 through 18. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit and poison of asps and is under their lips. Whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So what we find here is the best man can produce is flawed and corrupt. In fact, Isaiah 64, 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing, and all of our righteousness are as filthy rags, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. You say, is there, no, is there no one to be found in Scripture who was seen as righteous? Well, listen to me. Even the great apostle Paul did not want to face God in his own righteousness. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. And be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Here is Paul, 
a man who wrote 13 to 14 books of the New Testament, who planted many of the first century churches and then lovingly pastored them in person and from afar through his letters. He led countless numbers to faith in Christ. He suffered for the gospel and ultimately died for his faith. And yet, Paul knew that his works, as many as they were, would never save him. No amount of religious deed would ever save him. And so if Paul's works couldn't save him, what makes you think that your good works and that your good deeds and your being a good person has the ability to save you? I'm just going to go out on a limb here and say, you're not as good as Paul. And Paul says that his righteousness was not enough. At best, we fall short of God's standard, which is Jesus Christ himself. Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says, all have sinned. During vacation Bible school, I always like to give the illustration for our students of, of archery. And I bring in a target, and that target, of course, has, has circles inside of circles, and each circle is getting smaller and smaller and smaller until you have a tiny little circle. But what we're aiming for in archery is not that tiny circle. It is the teeny tiny little black dot inside of that center circle. And to not hit that little black dot in archery is considered to be sin. And so some of us get pretty close. We might even get it inside of that smallest circle, but we didn't hit the dot. Some of us, like me, we don't get it on the target. But it's all sin. And it all falls short of perfection. And that is what sin is spiritually as well. We have all violated God's law. We all stand guilty before him. So this sounds pretty hopeless, doesn't it? So I want you to see, lastly, God's solution. Here's God's solution. And follow with me here. There's going to be quite a bit of scripture, but I want you to hear from God's word what God says is the answer. First, God knows the depth and the extent of man's fallen nature. Psalm 103, verse 14, tells us that God knows our sin. And it is only by pure grace that prevents us from being destroyed in his anger. It's only because of, of his loving kindness that he hasn't just, in his wrath, destroyed all of us. But secondly, God knows man can never earn salvation or even be good enough for heaven. Therefore, he made a way. He made a way whereby sinners could be made righteous and could meet God's high standard. And so God's plan is a multiple step plan that is guaranteed to bring you into a state of righteousness, holiness, and perfect standing before God. This is what it takes to be righteous in the eyes of God. First of all, his plan is an old plan. In Revelation 13a, he says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. The Lamb slain from the foundation of the world is Jesus Christ himself. Before anything that has been made was made, God already had the plan to rescue you through the death of his perfect son, Jesus. It is an old plan. But also his plan involved death. It involved Calvary. From the very beginning, there was no plan B. The plan was always the cross. 2 Corinthians 5.14 For the love of Christ constraineth us because... 
we thus judge that if one die for all, then we're all dead. 1 Peter 1, 18-19 For as much as you know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversations received by traditions from the fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. But also I want you to see that his plan involves a resurrection. Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 through 6. Then the in, in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and he rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. And his countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, he said. Come, see the place where the Lord, where the Lord lay. Romans 4, 25. Who was delivered for our offenses and who was raised again for our justification. But fourthly, his plan involves the conviction of sin. In John 6, Jesus says, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Fifthly, his plan involves the grace of God. Romans 2, verses 8 and 9, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Six, his plan involves faith that is apart from works. Romans 10, 9 through 10, that if thou shalt confess with the mouth the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Seventh, his plan involves total justification. 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor the effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. But also, eighthly, his plan involves eternal life. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Ninthly, his plan involves an eternal heavenly home. 1 Corinthians 2, 9, But as it is written, I hath not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Tenth, his plan involves an iron-clad guarantee. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. In Hebrews 13, 5, let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I have told you in the past that my boys, 
are able somehow to get me on some of the most awful roller coasters known to man uh, when we go on vacations. And as I think about the, the way that they get me to do such crazy things, uh, I believe the reason that I'm willing to do that is that when I get on those rides, I look at the ride, and I, and I make sure that it has a very good restraint mechanism, okay? Um, you know, something more than just, you know, a rope that you hold on to. Would you get on a roller coaster and you just held on to a rope and that was the only restraint? You people are crazy. You're just looking at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. Do you know what a roller coaster is? You don't want, if there's one with a rope, don't get on it, okay? The roller coasters that I'm willing to get on, they, they restrain you. I mean, they pull this humongous thing over you. So there's restraints on one shoulder, on, the, on two shoulders. There's a restraint going around your waist. There's three points that you cannot move. And that's the way I want it to be because these things are going at breakneck speeds. They're going upside down. They're twisting 360 degrees. They're, they're turning every which way. They're, they're going 60 miles an hour at like two seconds. You know, these things are crazy. But what allows me to get on them with some peace of mind is the knowledge that I'm not holding on to the roller coaster. The restraint system of the roller coaster is hanging on to me. So it's not really about how strong I am, but it's about the restraint system and how strong it is. And that thing's not coming open. It's not going to let go. In much the same way, I want you to realize, in Christ, you need not think that you have to work at hanging on to your salvation. Because in reality, it is the triune God. As we go through all of the chaos that is this life, as we go through COVID and as we go through storms and as we go through sicknesses and as we go through the death of loved ones, the, the chaos that is this life, we are not holding on to him. The triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, he is hanging on to us. And he has given us a promise that he will never, ever, ever let you go. And because of that, we have peace. Man is not righteous, and he never could earn salvation. However, by simple faith in Jesus Christ, God declares us righteous. Salvation is simple. It is just taking God at his word and receiving Christ and his finished work upon the cross of Calvary as the payment for your sins, recognizing that you bring nothing to the table. You aren't bringing good works. They'll do you no good. You're not bringing your own righteousness. It's as filthy rags. You have nothing to bring to the table. You must trust him completely. And have you done that? Are you still trying to earn it on your own? Have you received him? To some it may sound too easy. There are still some folks today who are unwilling to use instant cake mix or instant potato mix. And they claim, well, it just doesn't taste the same. No, you're right. It tastes better. Okay? It just does. They know how, how, how to mix it. And it just tastes better. It just does. I will never make potatoes by mashing them again. Okay? Instant is way better. But there are some folks that say, well, it's just too easy. And there are so many who come to salvation, and it just seems too easy. Well, okay, I believe that it's Jesus Christ and his death upon the cross, plus me doing a couple things for him. No, it's not. 
It's you surrendering all and saying, I can't bring anything to the table. I'm a sinner in need of your grace and accepting him with nothing added for your salvation. Jesus and Jesus alone. We are people who like to earn it on our own merits. Well, all you will earn on your own merits, spiritually speaking, is eternal death and hell. The job has been finished. My friend, all you have to do is believe. Will you believe him for your salvation? Will you believe that he died for your sins? Will you believe that his suffering on that cross was not just for the world, but it was for you. As a nine-year-old little boy, I finally understood that his suffering on the cross was for Brad. It was for me. It was personal. Finally, I began to understand he died because of my sins. Have you come to that realization? Have you come to recognize that it was because of you that he suffered and died? And have you received what he, what he, what he died for? Have you re- received that grace? 2 Corinthians 5.10 makes it plain that one day all men are going to face Almighty God in one of two conditions. When that day comes, you have only two choices as to how you will be dressed. You can appear in the rags and the filthiness of your own righteousness, and you can hear him say, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And I cannot imagine the horror of those words. Or you can appear in the perfect righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ, and hear him say, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Listen to me, friends. Which will it be this morning? How are you dressed, spiritually speaking, this morning? If it's your own works, if it's your own righteousness, it is filthy rags. If you're still in those rags of sin, that are unfit to stand before God, please know that Jesus loves you and will gladly save you right here, right now, today. In these next moments, he is ready to receive you. Will you come to him and stop making excuses for why you're too scared to get up or or, or why it's going to put it off to another day? Stop making excuses today. Stop talking to your friend to distract yourself and listen this morning. He wants a relationship with you because he loves you. And he doesn't want you to go to hell. In the words of Johnny Hunt, one of my favorite preachers, God bankrupt heaven to buy your salvation. He gave the Son, he gave the Spirit, he gave all that you might be saved. Would you come to him today? Will you say yes to a relationship with Jesus? That's the only hope of standing before him righteous today. Lord, Heavenly Father, I believe you have spoken to hearts today through your word. I believe I've got some friends that need to make decisions today. But I also believe that I've got some brothers and sisters in Christ that need to get serious about praying for loved ones, about going to loved ones and sharing the gospel. And so, Lord, today I pray that you would stir all of our hearts. And, Lord, we know how we need to respond right now. The Holy Spirit's allowing us to know what the proper response is. And so, Lord, help us to be obedient. 
But in the coming moments, I pray for those that are struggling right now. They're going through that spiritual battle of, of will I say yes to Jesus or am I going to push him away another morning and say it's going to be another day or, or I'm just still a little too scared. Will they just step out today? Lord, give them the courage. Give them, give them what they need, the unction to, to say yes to you and, and to, to receive you by grace. Lord, do the work that only you can do in the hearts and lives of men and women, boys and girls. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand and as we